Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who, uh, as we record this, has just been spending another whole day on Twitter talking to idiots about International Men's Day. It's Richard Herring! Thank you very much. Hello, London. Ah. Hello, welcome to uh, uh, Richard Herring's Let Me Send... Uh, so fuck it. Take it, take it again. Oh, there's no editing in this. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Lemmy Sexes Tadpoles podcast. It's a um, we changed the direction a little bit. This now, what it is now is that Lemmy from Motorhead, uh, he comes in every week and he tells you what sex uh, tad. You give him any tadpole, he tells you what sex is. Uh, we're having difficulty contacting for it, but it's, he's gonna. He's definitely gonna. He's definitely gonna do it. Uh, though I was talking to a man I met who works in the castle and has one of those really big piercings in his earlobe. Uh, he calls it Rahalastapa. So I don't, it's a reference to last week's podcast. You're much better than last week's audience. So uh, it's, yeah, I've been back. It's, it's like March as we recorded this. And on March the 8th every year, I go on Twitter uh, and I find everyone who tweets when's International Wednesday and I tell them it's November the 19th. It's, uh, no, it's a fucking pain in the ass. And, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and now, unfortunately, I've started raising money for charity for it, and it keeps raising loads of money, and so I can't fucking stop it, can I? <laughs> Until one of the cunts on there kills me, which is what is going to happen. Um, it's getting scarier every year. Both directions, both the meninists and the feminists, they're kind of... They should get together, those lot, and, and form an army. <laughs> they're both increasingly insane on, on both uh, ends of the spectrum. But, no, it's, it's been fun. Uh, I raised £100,000 for refuge in one day. <laughs> £100,000. That's the, it's I don't say that to Sharp. I just realised that if I could do that every single day, I can make £36,500,000. So I'm going to... That's my... I'm not going to do these podcasts anymore. What a waste of time. I'm just going to go... And I'll give, like, half... I'm happy to do it for one day for charity. I'm a, I don't mind doing that. And then the rest of it will be for... Maybe I'll give half the money to charity and the whole thing. That's a nice guy. I see no flaw with that plan. Um, and, uh, and in the news this week, as we were recording this, uh, Trump met the head of Apple Computers and called him Tim Apple. <laughs> what an idiot. Ian Apple, that's his name. Everyone knows that. So it's good to see Donald Trump using my material. <laughs> it's got, things, have got, things have got desperate for Donald Trump. So look, hey. Let's crack straight on with this uh, fantastic first. I mean, only guest this week. <laughs> Nearly gave it away. Um, I think I covered it. Uh, he's probably best known for being a crowd member in the Vindaloo video. Remember that Vindaloo with old Keith Allen? Remember him? Uh, he was also he was also Sir Oswald in Plunkett and McLean. <laughs> Will you please welcome Matt Lucas, ladies and gentlemen? Plunkett and McLean. I'd love to see you. Come on in, sit down. Plunkett and McLean. Plunkett yeah. and McLean. Yeah. I'd forgotten about Plunkett and McLean until I looked you up on IMDb. So had I. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember much about working on Plunkett? That must have been one of your earliest uh, film jobs. I think it was... I think it might have been the first film that I was in. Wow. Or the second film. It was me and um, David... What? Do you, remember, you guys remember David Williams? No. Um, and, yeah, and it was, it was very exciting. It was directed by Ridley Scott's son, Jake Scott. Okay. Who'd done the, I think he'd done the Everybody Hurts REM video. Okay. And there was Liv Tyler in it, so I got to meet Liv Tyler. Nice. Got to meet Robert Carlyle. Yes. 
Uh, Johnny, he was Plunkett or McLean. He was one of those two. And Johnny Lee Miller. Johnny was, Lee Miller was, was the McLean other one, who I'd been in the youth theater, uh, National Youth Music Theatre with many years earlier. And uh, my main memory of doing that film was that we played prisoners, uh, aristocratic prisoners, and we were um, f filming a scene at a banquet, and we were just filming the same scene again and again and again over the course of a week, a long scene, and just the same food was on the table getting more and more rotten <laughs> and sort of gradually getting intoxicated by the fumes of rotten meat, wow. pig's head and things like that. Wow. Yeah, it's a lovely story. It is nice. Nice yeah. to remember it. I'm glad, glad yeah. to have brought that memory back. And what the yeah. Bindaloo video, you're in the crowd scene of the Bindaloo. We I'm all in the love Bindaloo. Bindaloo. Yeah, in that video, Fat Les. With yeah. Keith Allen. With Keith what Allen. What would it take for you to flake the actor Keith Allen? <laughs> it's one of my emergency questions, so... Is that in the book? Yeah. That's not one of the ones... Who suggested that? That was... Um, well, it kind of came from Matthew Crosby on an Edinburgh Fringe podcast yeah. when uh, he told a story about Keith Allen coming into somewhere like the Groucho Club yeah. uh, and just shouting, Who wants to suck my cock? And then nobody, and everyone just sort of looked at the floor well, a bit do, embarrassed. Do you, do you genuinely want an answer? Yeah, I do. It would take for me to no longer be alive. <laughs> Good, question, good answer to the yeah. question. So I've been. No disrespect to Keith, if you're listening. <laughs> so he gets a bit. We nearly had. I used to work for Keith. Yeah, yeah, I used to work for Keith Allen. Me and David. Well, me and David were writers on this TV show made by his company. So we'd go into Keith Allen's office mm. and write every day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got a, quite a lot of personal beef with him in my... Well, I've been over it a lot in this time. He nearly came... One of his, Someone got in touch with me and said, would you like Keith Allen as a guest on the podcast? And I said, you know, there's a bit of history there. What's they the history? He, oh, he kind of came and wrecked our student show and was a, it was horrible to us in the, in the 1980s. Right, right. Um, and they said, yeah, yeah. And, and I kind of thought, oh, maybe you're quite interesting to talk to him. And then I, I decided not. Yeah. <laughs> I realised I didn't want to drag it all up, so instead I thought I'd get you on to drag it all up. Thank you. <laughs> I've been listening to your fantastic book, Little Thank Me. Thank you, Little Me. Yeah, and, uh, on audio, but which is a great way to enjoy it, I have to say. It's, uh, it's very nice having you... Re it was weird when I came out of the toilet and you were standing there and I was listening to you narrate your book. <laughs> yeah. That was an odd experience. That but, was odd. but that actually happens to anyone who listens to it. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's an amazing service you're providing. Yeah. Well, it's weird. I wrote this autobiography and it, it, it came out a little while ago. And it's a little bit different to average, not average, to, to um, conventional autobiographies in that um, it's not chronological. It's an mm. A to Z of... Um, of my life, so like yeah. B is for baldness, G is for gay, and yeah, I'm gay, <laughs> and things like that. So, so although it of, comes out sort, I mean, you do. It's you sort do of chrono it's sort of chronological. It, it kind of ends up being roughly chronological, except that Shooting Stars, which is a show that I did in my, you know, when I was 21, uh, is nearer the end of the book because of the, the S. That's, that was because it begins with S. No so. W. I think it's one oh, of the scores. Okay. George Dawes, I think. <laughs> okay, yeah. right. Um, uh, there's lots of things... Someone hasn't book. read the whole book. I haven't read the whole... <laughs> Obviously, I haven't finished it because I was listening to it as That's I came right. out of the toilet. What, were you, what was happening when... Uh, what were you listening to at that I moment? I was listening to at that moment, and then I was so shocked by you. I'm up to about... Uh, P or something. No, I've got beyond... I'm on, on R or S. What's, I'm, I should know it's not S because I think I'm on S. What's S for? S is for... I can't, I'm gonna sucking call. Keith Allen, if you can. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what S is no. at this moment. I should test you on all of the letters. Yeah. We're going to do it all the way through. Um, well, look, A, I wanted to say, I'm surprised you've never done stand-up because I think a lot of those... There, there's a I did do stand-up. Well, you did not as yourself, though. Oh, no, not as myself, but I did yeah. the circuit, the comedy circuit, 
for four and a half years, from yeah. 18 till I've, I've heard that bit of the book, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> as, but uh, in character as Sir Bernard yeah. Chumley. But yeah. I think you as yourself are great. The chapter about the F is for food. Yes. All right, and it starts, you think, oh, come on, Matt, you're not just going to list... You're not going to, in your book, list your favourite and least favourite foods. But it's so fucking funny, that Thank chapter. You. Uh, and like just you getting angry about foods you like and don't like, yeah. I think that's an Edinburgh show. Well, I think you could do that as an Edinburgh show. Do you know it's funny because actually when we were when I recorded the audiobook, I realised that that chapter about food is fifty minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of is an Edinburgh show, isn't it? There, yeah, yeah. It's great. So you've you've got you know there's a great you as a person is uh, are a very interesting you know what you've always been behind characters, right? Mm. Nearly, yeah. nearly always. Mo for mostly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know a little, a little bit more, a little bit more in recent years, I've been a bit more as yeah. myself in But stuff. would you come back, to ask Les Dennis just to come and do, because he's not ever gone to Edinburgh and done a show about himself, would you come and do a, would you do a, a stand-up show about yourself? Or do you always... Yeah, yeah I actually, I, you know, uh, there's a couple of things in my head. There's a stand-up show I want to do about myself, but I don't want to do it yet. Okay. Which is that in, in uh, I did this TV show called Pompidou, and it, w usually when I used to do shows with David, um, when we finished filming, they, even before the show had gone, had been broadcast, the BBC would say, oh, we'll give you some money to start writing the, the, the next series. To, we'll commission you to write the first two episodes of the next series. So you'd, you'd sort of, because there would be this gap where the show had to be edited and then publicized and then broadcast and they wanted to keep things moving. But I did Pompidou and they tested this show, which is my favorite thing I've ever done. And it tested worse than any other show <laughs> has ever tested. And so the BBC, understandably, did not, um, uh, then come forward and say, oh, we'd like you to write another episode of this <laughs> just in case this is a hit and we want to, you know, be ahead of ourselves. So I found myself in this position of thinking, well, this show still could, could please enough people that they might want more, but it might not. But I don't want to start writing anything else. So I said to myself, right, I'm going to start writing a diary. And so for this one year, I wrote a diary, I wrote a diary not for publication, but I ended up writing a 900-page diary of absolutely everything. <laughs> right. And so at some point in my life, I want to go back and look at that. Uh, it wasn't written for, to be read, but it's, 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 some of it's funny, some of it's really sad, you know, because I had some bereavement in my life and things like that. Um, but this really weird thing happened because cause, cause I became a bit of a slave to, to write in this diary. And... and um, a couple of people said, oh, are you going to carry on writing the diary? Because, you know, obviously find that you're really sort of... Because it kind of ended up being a bit like therapy. Yeah. But I actually... The reason I didn't carry on doing it is because I actually... It turned me a bit quite sociopathic in that... Um, <laughs> if I was out and, like, somebody said something, whereas normally I would have bit my tongue, I would be a lot more confrontational because I kept thinking, well, this will make good reading. <laughs> So it turned me into like a kind of Piers Morgan, where you, you become, I became for this year of my life a sort of provocateur in social situations. Right. And so um, it's, a, it's a weird diary that I haven't uh, 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 read back yet, but I know that as it goes on, I just become sort of 
mad. I became quite mad yeah. uh, doing it. So at some point, and I think it's a little too soon right now, but at some point um, I want to revisit that diary and think and see if there's anything in it from yeah, well, a stand-up like, point of view. It sounds like a kind of Don, Danny Wallace no-man film, isn't it? If you're doing the, you're just being, yeah. being negative it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really weird thing that happened, yeah. and, it, and it can happen to you if you are... Yeah, it happens to public personas. I, I think it's happened a little bit to Piers Morgan, who I don't, I don't have a positive or negative attitude about. We share a love of Arsenal, you know, and I don't, I don't sort of... Um, but I do think sometimes, you know, if you're in his position, you're, you're, you, 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 there's an expectation for you to have an opinion on absolutely everything. And that's one of the things that slightly scares me about appearing as myself. Yeah. You know, whereas, whereas in character, I felt it could be a little bit more selective. Yeah, I mean, it, it, being in a character obviously allows you to take liberties and... and I mean, you talk about this in, your, in, in the book as well, about how, you know, you can get... You can sort of get the laugh for the joke, but also people are then laughing at the character as well as the joke, so you're getting a, you're getting a double whammy, really. Jerry, Jerry Sadowitz said that, didn't he? He said, yeah. I can go on stage and say, I hate Margaret Thatcher, and people are sort of nod in agreement, or I can go on stage and say, Margaret Thatcher's probably one of the most brilliant, and may I say most beautiful women I, I, I've ever <laughs> come across. And he said, people will get it and then they'll laugh as well. And yeah. you'll, um, but for me, I started doing, I mean, I, was, I sort of did some child acting and stuff at 14, 15 in the West End and stuff like that. But I, um, I started doing stand-up when I was 18 and I, I wasn't out um, as gay to people or anything like that. And, I, and, and I'd had a slightly strange upbringing because I'd lost my hair when I was six and I'd had a few sort of, tough things in my childhood and and I thought I, what I don't want to do is stand on a stage and talk about that no. and I thought it would have been very disingenuous to stand there with a pint and a cigarette and talk about my girlfriend because that's kind of what people yes. did in the stand-up club so for me playing a character actually felt a lot more honest yes yeah and yeah. you know and it, but it was also great I a sort of similar time I was attempting to do well I was vacillating between doing myself and trying to do a character and I never kind of got it. I, I was sort of a foot in both camps, and I never kind of got it quite right. Whereas, you know, in that '90s style, it was very. There was a lot of men doing. You know, it stand-up had come, become quite boring. I think there was a lot. There was some really great stand-ups, but there was a, a lot of men doing quite laddish stuff about exactly what you're talking about. And so when you came out and did something like Chumley, it was it was um, you know it was it was a breath of fresh air and it alienated some audiences. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what I like about this book is that you're very honest about talking about A, you're um, you know, you're not always super confident about stuff, but B, you write about your bad gigs as well as your good gigs. Oh yeah, well which there were many lot, of those. But a lot of people don't I, I'm not mentioning no names, Peter Kay's books. Uh, <laughs> every gig he's ever done is brilliant. And that's Peter, not, but Pe but I've, that's, I've only ever seen Peter go down an absolute Well, apparently storm. maybe that's the case. I've, I think maybe Peter has a better idea of how he's going than, than the audience. Uh, Do you really? I, I, well, I'll no, I think, I think in his stand-up... Well, right, in his, I've talked about this before, but in his book he writes about being in school, being in, the, in Wizard of Oz, and he's the, he's the cowardly lion... And he misses some rehearsals, so they said, when he, get, he said, when it gets to that bit, Peter, just sit down and let everyone else... The, that line isn't really in this song, sit down and uh, let everyone else... Let the munchkins and everyone else do their stuff. And then it got to that bit, and he thought, oh, I'm, it's boring sitting here. So he got up and started dancing around the stage and dancing up and down the aisles. Uh, and, uh, and he's going, everyone thought it was hilarious. I don't think everyone thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I think all the munchkins thought he was a fucking cunt. <laughs> So, um, 
and he doesn't in the book gives gives no indication of that. Whereas your book, you're very honest about. Yeah. Maybe too honest, and maybe maybe in the other way. I think. Well, I'll maybe be honest that Peter's a friend of mine. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, I, I I genuinely think he's the funniest man in the country. Like absolutely. I think he's the, the, the most brilliant stand-up. You need stand to talk up. to the people from that Wizard of Oz show. But, they're, but, they're still furious. <laughs> yeah, but had I, had, had I been a munchkin, I might have, I yeah. might have been a, a, but sa- no, a sad munchkin. I think, uh, but I think like, some yeah. comedians get through by being ultra-com. Stuart, always, Stuart, when he'd do gigs, he'd always come and go, I was the best, I did the best, I was the best. And he, sometimes he wasn't. He often was, but he, sometimes he wasn't the best on the bill. But he had to believe that to carry on. And that's what I think. Some people have that kind. Of, that's how they get through being a comedian. And some, I think it's more fun to read about someone saying, "I did this gig and died on my ass," or "This is how this character developed." Because the all that alter ego of Chumley, which then turned up in George Dawes and everything else, yeah. comes from dealing with hecklers, right? That you yeah, were... and absolutely, and actually, because I I did this very 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 strange stand up act, and it would basically either do really well or do really badly and there was very it was very unusual that the audience were just lukewarm in their response they'd be passionately one way or the other so um uh and then and then uh, uh, me and um david i'll tell you i'll tell you years later um <laughs> david williams would do shows in edinburgh and at the first show that we did together in edinburgh in 95 we were put on stage at midnight and so you'd play to audiences you play in a room that was very very hot already because it had five or six shows on with yeah, those yeah. lights on. So you'd sort of walk in and be hit by this kind of wall of, of heat. And the audiences would be drunk. And actually, it was the Wildman rooms, the assembly rooms. So the audience were on your left, they were ahead of you and on your right. And if somebody needed to go to the toilet, which sometimes people do uh, uh, that time of night when they've drunk a lot, they'd actually have to walk across the stage to get to the toilet because the stage was just the floor of the room. Yeah. And so we developed this very, very aggressive style of comedy. Um, and so what you saw later on, years later in Little Britain, was, was born out of that, you know, um, need to assert our dominance of the territory. Sure. Because, because when you do a show at midnight in Edinburgh Festival, it's, it might have your name on the door, but it's not, it's not <laughs> automatically your territory. No. You have to claim it and you have to really guard it. You know, so people went up to go to the loo. Somebody go, can I go to the loo? I go, yeah, of course, go, 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 that's fine. They go, are you sure? I go, yeah, yeah, go, go, go. <laughs> and I go, why the fuck are you going to the toilet? My you know, and then like not let them back in and come in. No, you can't come back. And we do, we sort of play with them yeah. and do like a whole thing. And da- I mean, David in particular was, he was incredible. He was really fearless with audience members and he would just, I remember him sort of taking a drink out of someone's hand and drinking, I mean, things that you didn't, you didn't do, yeah. you know, that you would, would be too scared to do. But, but we sort of had a real sense of bravado. And so I think actually that when we did get onto TV, we were probably a bit too, the volume was a bit too high. <laughs> you know, we were a bit too um, sort of assertive and aggressive in our comedy, perhaps. Yeah. So it did take us quite a while to get onto terrestrial television because I think people, they came and saw us and some people liked us and some people didn't. But, but Together, we would make audiences laugh a lot, but I think people sort of said they're good, but you can't really put that on TV. Yeah. You know? Well, but you, I mean, you did get on TV quite early anyway, but... Doing, what yeah, I, but doing the more doing the, yeah. kind of cable TV. I mean, sure, you, sure. Uh, in terms of our own stuff, yeah. doing Paramount Comedy Channel and yeah. UK Play and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But what I like about... And I've heard this story before, but in the book, you, the, you, when you first saw Reeves and Mortimer, you obviously were going to work with quite a lot, you actually rang up Channel 4 to complain yeah. 
about the show. Yeah. Which I, do you think that's ever happened that someone has, any of the people who's ever rung up a TV channel to complain about a show being rubbish? Yeah, I think. Have um, ended up being in the show with the. <laughs> Essentially, with those people. That's got to be quite unusual, right? I think Meghan Markle complained <laughs> about, about the royal wedding of Andrew and Fergie. And now she's... No, um, uh, yeah, well, I got very confused because I was 16 or 15 when that was on and um, I, I was very earnest. Sorry? I just love you Well, I was very po a very pompous young man. Like, <laughs> very earnest, very pompous. Um, I, you know, I was in the National Youth Music Theatre. I'd done a show in the West End. I was kindly donating my time to Channel 4 and giving them 25 minutes of my time to watch their comedy show. And um, here was this Vic Reeves, I mean, talking in this thick accent I could barely understand. <laughs> and, and if you watch Vic Reeves bring it out, he keeps saying, oh, later on in the show, we've got this coming on and that coming. You know, we've yeah. got a kebab coming on and playing a tambourine or whatever he's saying. <laughs> and then I was like, right, right, where is it? <laughs> and also, like, why are there no guests? Like, why isn't Kim Wilde coming to sing a song or something? Like, what's going on? And I was just utterly confused. And, I, and so I called up Channel 4. I said, I don't know, what, what is this? Why, why are you putting this on? This is not acceptable. <laughs> you know. And then the next week, I watched it. I said, well, I'm going to watch this because this is never going to be on again. So I'm just going to watch this to see what it was again. You know, just to, to say that I, see, I saw it. And then the next week, I said, oh, I, I think I get it. And, then, and by the end of the first series, I was such a fan that I... I sort of made friends at college because I liked it and they liked it. Yeah. And so it was, I was so much of, of a fan that we actually, you know, we sort of, we, we bonded. I have friendships to this day that are inspired and based by and based on a mutual love of Reeves and Mortimer. Yeah, it's interesting. I think nearly everything that I like in comedy, I hated the first time I saw it. I think it's, I think it just, so if something's good, it takes you a little while to tune into the, into the vibe of it, I think, and then you yeah. go, oh, okay, I get it now. I think it's also sometimes, I don't, I, I don't know if you have this thing, but you know when somebody tells you, you know when, when something's already got an audience and you're sort of coming to it after everyone else? It's slightly annoying. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how to explain it when someone says, oh, you have to watch Fleabag. You're like, well, all right, I'll decide if Fleabag's good or not. Then you watch Fleabag. That's the best thing ever made. <laughs> but but it, you sort of, it's, there's a slight resentment on being yeah. told. I mean, I definitely, as a, I, I don't know if I put this in the book, but it, it's very dull. I just warn you in advance. But um, I, when I was sort of 15 and 16 and uh, uh, was at school, there was a sort of guy that would sort of say, uh, you have to listen to Pink Floyd. Lucas, you have to listen to Pink Floyd. You have to listen to Led Zeppelin. Like, just because I was listening to sort of, gayer music than that. And, <laughs> and, and I've always hated those bands just because bossy men told me I had to listen to them. Yeah. Like, did, you, did you know, do you, can you identify with yeah, that? Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. I mean, I was, it was, I was always, I was always more interested in comedy than music, so, but yeah, if, if you absolutely, if, you, if you've discovered something, if it's your thing, then you, you, you're much more, you know, you're much more supportive of it. Yeah. Uh, which is probably why Michael Jackson's, some people think he's innocent. Uh, but it's uh, <laughs> probably why. <laughs> but you met Bob quite, Bob uh, Mortimer quite early on when you just started gigging. He saw you gig quite early, didn't he? Yeah, you? so I, I, I started doing stand-up, um, doing open spots, and I'd been doing, uh, for five weeks, five weeks I'd been doing open right. spots for with this terrible routine. And um, Bob Mortimer was in the audience and um, he moved down nearer the front when I was on. And then, you know, we spoke afterwards and I was the biggest fan of Reeves and Mortimer. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, it was amazing. And then a couple of years later, I was doing The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer with them and then Shooting Stars, 
you know, two and a half years after that. And I'd gone to university and I, I was, you know, I said to Bob, because I took a year out from university to, to try doing stand-up comedy. And I also had a job, a full-time job, yeah. working for Chelsea Football Club in their shop, which was weird for me because I'm an Arsenal fanatic. So I used to wear an Arsenal top underneath. Uh, my Chelsea so like, shirt. You say that it's like in the, in the film The Eagle Has Landed yeah. where, where the Nazis yeah. have to wear their Nazi uniform. Yeah. That's how they get discovered though, Matt. That's because yeah. one of them falls in the water and gets caught up in a mill wheel and his UK, his English army, the costume comes off and they can see he's a Nazi underneath. Well, that film... That could, did that happen to you? That f- when's yeah. that film set? During World War II. Yeah, well, that was based on me in the early 90s. <laughs> Working at Chelsea. Uh, there could be a film, but it's, yeah. his face stops coming. He's Arsenal. He's Arsenal. But I, I, I um, ended up doing two TV series and doing stand-up comedy TV shows while I was at university still. And then I left early to... I did a show at the Edinburgh Festival with um, David Walliams. <laughs> that was his name. And... Um, uh, and then, and then um, we, got off, yeah, we did get offered a, a show on... Uh, Paramount Comedy Channel off the back of our first Edinburgh show. Yeah, yeah. it's very. I mean, I think in the nineties, I'm very, it, well, it very was possible lucky. in the nineties. You know, that it was. It's still kind of possible now, but there's so many. You know, when we were doing shows in Edinburgh in the nineties, there were thirty or forty or fifty shows, and they'd all get seen by people, and someone could come and say, "Hey, come and do this." Yeah. On the telly, and uh, but now you know there's a thousand shows, so I think it would be very difficult to make that same impact. As quickly. Well, not only that, but, but, you know, we did this show on the Paramount Comedy Channel, which eventually became Comedy Central, and um, which was directed by Edgar Wright. Yeah. Obviously went on to become one of the greatest British film directors or just generally film directors that there are. And um, uh, not only were we given the opportunity to, to make that show, but people saw it, even though it was on Paramount, because the, terrestrial TV at that time was four channels. And then if you had some form of cable or sky or satellite, whatever, you probably had another 15 or something. And so um, all the comics that I would work with would get home late night, you know, spark up a joint, and two in the morning, they'd be watching the stuff we did on Paramount. Uh, Now, you can have a show on BBC One, BBC Two, and actually, you can walk out your house the next day after it's been on, and nobody will stop you. Nobody will... (laughs) Because because people are, are... finding their stuff in all different places, yeah, aren't they? Course, Not just yeah. television and, and... Yeah, and, you know, I think there was... You know, you ended up doing Little Britain on BBC Three, which I think, again, at the time, think, oh, no, we want to be on BBC Two. But actually, that was probably an advantage as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that you, yeah. You, were the, you became the biggest show on BBC Three, whereas if you'd been put straight on BBC Two, it might not have had the same impact. Yeah, I, I agree, because, um, like, before that, we did this show on UK Play, Rock Profile. Oh, it was so good, and Rock Profile. Had, thank you. And that had, been, that had been really popular, again, because they didn't have that much content to yeah. show because it was a low-budget channel. So they would just show our shows again and again and again. And, and the same thing happened with BBC Three. They didn't have that much to show. So... so um, they would show, uh, I feel like they would show EastEnders two hours before it was on BBC One or something like that. <laughs> and then they would just show Little Britain and they had a couple of other, did, I feel like Mark Wooten maybe had a show, Dom Jolly. A few other people had yeah. shows, uh, three non-blondes I think they did. Yeah, I think that might um, be. And there were a few shows, but BBC Three didn't actually have that much to show. So we were, we were very lucky about that. So by the time we, by the time... It was a co-production between BBC Three and BBC Two, that first series of Little Britain. And by the time we were on BBC Two, we already had fans and we already had, had reviews. So then it meant that BBC Two pushed it in a way that they might not have done. Yeah. And then after one series, 
on tour, then it moved to BBC One. Then it moved to BBC Nought. <laughs> <laughs> I am an idiot. <laughs> I am an idiot. You are an idiot, I but that's... Idiot. Again, I think that's... But you, in the book, you talk about you being an idiot, and you, and you do some stories about yourself that, you know, aren't flattering. In fact, chapter all. I is for idiots. It is. Yeah. And so you tell stories about yourself about you being, you know, a bit of a pre-Badonna or oh, being a bit pompous shocking. or whatever. But I like it because, like, people don't usually do that. You know, you would, you can see, you can look back at yourself and go, that's when I was an idiot. I think a lot of showbiz people especially can't look back and go, oh, I was an idiot. They just go, I was always brilliant. And so it's very endearing, I think. I'm very brave as well to, to talk about being an arsehole in you a hotel. You do it, though. I mean, yeah. you've been an influence on me to be candid yeah. like that. There are the, the, my, my, I always think my favourite comedians that I go and see are not always the funniest. They're the most interesting All right. ones. All right. No. <laughs> That came out wrongly. That came out wrongly. That came out wrongly. I genuinely meant that. I mean it as a compliment. No, not just about being funny, but about being interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that. I've genuinely been a fan of yours. We, we, we've worked, we, you know, we, you, we hired you to work on Little Britain. We did, you did, yeah. 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 Sorry I wasn't very good. No. <laughs> You were. you were. No, you were great. But I remember coming to see... Uh, I saw a number of your shows, but I think it was Talking Cock. Yeah. And I went to see it... Was it at the Arts Theatre? Is that where it yeah, was? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Okay, so I went to see uh, uh, your show, and, and, and uh, when I said in the room, because uh, we'd had Mark Gatiss script edit our first series and Rob Brydon do our second series, and people never wanted to do it again. <laughs> so we were on the lookout, and I said, look, I saw uh, uh, Richard Herring do Talking Cock, and I've... I sat in this audience and there was never a moment where the audience, where nobody, where, there was never a moment where somebody in the audience wasn't in hysterics. There were these just pockets of laughter throughout the room, just constantly, people there in hysterics, just getting that People joke. just couldn't people agree just on that. which bits were funny. No, 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 and I mean, you, 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 you know, um, you know, you have this show and you're very generous to people and you give them time and you're very kind to them. But the, but the truth is, you're, you are one of my favourite comedians. And when I say that, it's not just about being funny. You, are, you have never, ever, ever been dull in anything I've seen you do. You've always you. been interesting and honest. And I fight, feel the same way about David Baddiel as well, which is, he's very candid. And I, and I think his show, uh, My Family, Not the Sitcom, yeah, it's amazing. is amazing. And you, your work is in this kind of vein of looking at your own flaws and, and learning from them and talking about it. And I, I love, uh, uh, you know, th th that work that you do. Thank you. Well, but it, it works very well in... in They'll cut that. They work. <laughs> I can't have anyone saying anything nice about it because it's not allowed. Uh, it's, no, but, it's, but that's, you know, that's, that's what's... In, it's, it's important, I think, to be honest. And I think that's what, that's what makes this a really interesting book is because I think you're real... You know, you look back at your life and you can spot the mistakes you made, where things were a bit weird. The, you know, you've had, you've had a, a, a roller coaster of a life where you've had to deal with a lot of things. You, the early stuff about your childhood, you just think, oh my God, you know, you want to kind of go back and, you know, you say it yourself about yourself, but as a reader or a listener, you go, oh, you just want to go back to that little kid and say, it's going to be okay. All yeah, these but things you know what? It wasn't okay. No. And I'm still struggling with events from my past. Of course. Recent and yeah, yeah. distant, you know. Well, and, you, you uh, and that actually just life is just... Uh, a process of getting through every day and, and um, people think fame insulates you but actually when you get a day when you're just feeling Ugh, and then you look up and you're being filmed <laughs> it, it makes you feel even a bit more uh, well, I know, but that's I, not me whinging no, I mean no, I'm very I, grateful and I've been very lucky I've, but actually anybody who thinks being famous will kind of cure any any um, 
dissatisfaction you have with yourself or the events of your life, just be aware that that um, uh, that hasn't been my experience. No, I don't think it's anyone's experience. I think a lot yeah. of people think that that I'll I'll show everyone all this stuff went wrong. I'll show everyone. I'll be famous, yeah. and then everyone will love me. And it does. That's not how it works. But I think for you to be able to look back uh, and be honest about it, and you know, and the. the Within, you know, you're a very sensitive person. I've always known you're very sensitive. You take criticism. I can't believe you say that. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is what I'm going to take away but, from this. <laughs> but you know, to this, it's you know, losing your hair as a child, and this is that's a that's a very very difficult thing for a young child, and then as growing up, going through all your teenage years as mm. that boy, the boy with no hair, that's kind of so difficult to get through, and obviously you get through it. I think you would have been a funny kid anyway. I honestly do. I don't think it's, you know, I think you, you can see all the way through. And when I did Headmaster's Son, I thought, oh, I've turned out like I have because of my dad being my headmaster. And I kind of realised I was like I am before any, anyway, I got anywhere near my dad being my headmaster. Yeah, yeah. And I think you were always going to be this cheeky, funny kid. But then you've got to deal with, you know, several issues. One of them is that, you know, everywhere you go, you can't escape it. The only way you can escape it is by putting on a terrible wig that everyone knows is a wig. As a kid, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's... Which, so, I, which I did do. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah. it's... That's such a hard thing to get through. So as, a, as an adult reading that, as a grown adult, you're like, oh my God, this is so... Just that is so hard to get through. But... You know, the, the the fact that you've got through that and the fact that you still... I love your comedy is silly and funny and rude, you know, and it's not, you know, the, it, it's your comedy. It, it isn't about trying to make people think. No, I was just getting you back. Uh, it is, <laughs> <laughs> but it isn't, you know, it's about... It's, the laughter is the important thing, you know. It's the moment of laughter. It's the silliness. Mm. It's the big... No, that bigness of it and that kind of surreal... That's why I love Rock Profiles was the first thing of yours that I'd... It wasn't the first thing I'd seen. It was the first thing I went, wow, these guys are fucking amazing. Because it was... You know, because you'd put, invested so much and you were... It, it was sort of... When you talk about it, you, there's a little bit of reason Mortimer in there, Mortimer in there Defin in terms oh, no, no, of... No, definitely, In terms yeah. of, you know, they're, they're not impressions. They're, That's they're right. sort of broader canvas things. Yeah, yeah. But nobody was doing anything like, like you were doing. And in reason Mortimer was more, much more surreal than... Rock profiles, which if you can catch it, I mean, it's on. I've got a video of it. I really? can lend it round. It is, uh, on, uh, it is on DVD. Yeah. Um, and and it's. I mean, I haven't. I don't. I very rarely watch the stuff I'm in. Yeah. Anyway, but I certainly haven't watched any of that or a little bit or anything since since it was made. But so I mean, it's, it's probably quite hard to sit through <laughs> now. But um, at the time. Um, we, we would just churn them out, you yeah. know, and we would do two episodes in a day. So that's 30 minutes of original material every day. So there's a lot to learn, just lines, remembering the lines. But we just sort of churn them out. And so because of that, they have a slight sense of kind of disposable energy and they have a kind of freedom, you know, in the way that I always thought um, Lee Francis has that great sense of freedom because he does a lot mm -hmm. of stuff. So it's just sort of, I'll do that and I'll do this and some of this lands and some of this doesn't. And I think there was this kind of, we had that same spirit of let's just try this, let's just try that. Um, and so it's not, it's not precious. When we moved on to doing uh, Little Britain in more kind of formal sketches, I think then we were a bit more kind of painstaking about the structure of the sketch, yeah. the beats, the, you know, it was a much more sort of formal work. 
And, but the, there are definitely people who much prefer us in rock profile. The, the, it's much more anarchic. I think so. I mean, it, well, it's so loose. It's, it's, it's loose, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's loose. You, again, I think it's that thing of discovering it and exactly what you're talking about, coming back late at night and seeing it and finding you, feeling you discovered it. But you know, I think it probably because it's a, it's a. I think with Little Britain, it's so of, it really is of its time. Right? Oh yes. I mean, in so many ways. But it really, at the time, I, it was, I, I totally agree with you. you know, at I, the time, it was it was just bang. It was perfect. It was on the nose, and it's it's sort of amazing to think that like in a decade and a half. People can be looking at that and going, oh, you know, this, well, it's interesting this, this we, is questionable, this is questionable. Yeah, it's very um, you know, yeah, It's amazing how quickly yeah. that can turn around. But at the time, nobody was really saying that. And at the time, it was embraced. I mean, more than embraced. It was just everywhere you went, everyone, it was... Yeah, from, yeah. You know, universally almost, like from tabloids right through, wasn't it? It was every, everyone yeah, was yeah. And it. Yeah, the, the thing about, the thing about um, you know, those uh, uh, pictures of me, you know, um, um, uh, Sometimes people message me on Twitter and say, please explain this, or the, the very accusatory, which I completely understand and accept. Um, it's pictures of me from Come Fly With Me, where I play um, a black character. And, and I suppose the, the thing is that, the, the one thing I will say is, is it's, um, it's not necessarily an apology or an explanation or anything, but it's a context, which is that sometimes, you know, um, when, when pictures go down, you know when you see like Prince Harry, dressed in a Nazi uniform. There's a sense that that, that that photograph was a bit illicit, that he wasn't really supposed to be doing that. It was a secret photo. Somebody shouldn't really have sent the photo. It was a private thing. But when we played characters of other races, when we played transvestites, when we played, uh, um, did any of this work that people uh, are, are re-evaluating and finding you know, very difficult to stomach, um, we, didn't, we didn't do it in secret. This was on prime time. Yeah. Uh, mainstream television and we went you know our scripts would go to the BBC and they would go through John Plowman and I mean, you worked on series three you know they would go through all of these things and um, you know we wrote that material we played those characters but there, we weren't asked the questions then that we, we, we would be asked now because no. when I was a little kid I would see predominantly white people on television and they would often play black people and then there was a moment after that I felt in the sort of the late 80s and 90s where that didn't happen where we people said it's wrong to to sort of make comedy out of the fact that you're a white person playing a black person that is not acceptable for comedy but when we were doing little britain and when we were doing come fly with me it felt like things had gone somewhere else again after that um, Vic and Bob were doing Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye, black on The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer, and I don't, I don't remember ever thinking, oh, it's funny that they're playing black people. It was just, I remember, I remember thinking at the time, it's very charming and sweet that they're playing Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye as these sort of northern dockers. Yeah. You know, and that was very surreal. And when I saw Harry Enfield playing Nelson Mandela, probably in the last decade. Again, I thought, well, Harry Enfield has a funny... I remember thinking, Harry Enfield has a funny take on Nelson Mandela. Why wouldn't he dress up like Nelson Mandela to do it? And I remember thinking, for us... And it seems, it seems a very naive thing to think in, in, in the modern day. But I remember thinking, 
you know, there was, a, there was a greediness to Little Britain and a show-off. We were show-offs in that we just wanted to play as many characters as possible. So we play black, white, straight, gay, male, female, fat, thin, tall, short, whatever. But I remember thinking, I, I actually remember thinking this, which, which, which I don't think like this anymore, but I remember thinking when we were doing Come Fly With Me, thinking Britain is multicultural, that's a wonderful thing. We actually wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't reflect the multiculture. Yeah. Now, that's what I thought then. I don't think that anymore. Sure. I, I don't think that anymore. I, I feel, I believe, I'm much more simpatico with kind of a, a, a contemporary reading of, of, or a contemporary approach to doing things. So I would not play characters of other races now. No. And, and, but do you think... And, but I can't, I can't change what we did. No. The, the only thing I can say is, because I, I do get asked about this a lot, um, the only thing I can say is, is that I definitely didn't ever do it with any ill intent, ever. No. I never, ever, ever thought, wouldn't it be funny if I play a person of this race? Now, sometimes in the execution of a character, there was a crudeness. And I think the main example I, I've talked about in the past is we had a character in series three, I think, of Little Britain called Ting Tong who was a Thai bride, and both David and I, it was a rare thing where both David and I, we used to go away, <coughs> have a little break after a series of Little Britain and, and come up with some ideas and come back together. And we both had written down Thai bride. Right. Right? And we, so we'd both written that down. And I think what happened, so we're very, it was like, oh, well, we have to do this. And I think what happened is sometimes when you're playing lots of characters, you're doing everything you can to define them sometimes you only end up defining them in how different they are to the other characters you're playing. Because you're playing so many, you know, if you're doing 40, 50, 60 characters in a series, or across three series, you've just got to think, I've got to, I've got to pull something out of the bag that makes this different to the other things. But I think the other thing that happened with that character, I remember really thinking in retrospect, is that wearing the prosthetics, one can become so buried under prosthetics that when you go to give a performance, you're either really wooden or really hammy. And sometimes you really are, f are, you've got these prosthetics on and you're so scared of nothing being seen because you're buried underneath it that you end up giving a very big crude performance. And so when I look at that, I think there's, I don't think there's any truth in that performance. And I, I kind of, I, 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 you know, that I, I regret. But, but, but in terms of the change of culture, you know, Little Britain, when it came out, and certainly my memory of it, is that this was a show that actually sort of was more likely to piss off right-wing people than left-wing people. Now it's a show that pisses off left-wing people <laughs> more than right-wing people, which is it's interesting because the show hasn't changed. No. The time has changed. But that's what's... You know, that is... The, is the, it is... That that was acceptable 15 years ago. And it, 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 it I was. Mean, I, I, all I can say is it definitely was acceptable at the time. And I'll give you an example. Um, when uh, uh, David played um, the transvestite, the rubbish transvestite, that felt to us like a very assertive, queer... Uh, and positively queer thing to do, which yeah. is to go, we're playing transvestites, we're playing gay people in our show. You know, I, I, I was identifying publicly as gay, and um, uh, I had grown up on a diet of, you know, Mr. Humphreys, where it was all entendre, yeah. and, and, and that was anarchic in itself and, and kind of progressive in itself, but we were in a time where characters would say, I'm gay. And actually, Emily Howard, the transvestite, like, 
what we now think of as, as people who are, who are transgender in terms of in putting in, in its kind of crudest, simplistic sense, somebody born in the body of one gender who feels strongly that they are born, that that is not the correct gender for them and that they undergo surgery and change, mm -hmm. that we didn't, we genuinely didn't have much of an understanding of that even 15 years ago in the culture. And even me and David, who considered ourselves quite progressive, I didn't really have much of an understanding. Uh, and uh, so now, I mean, I would never dream of doing that as a character. I would never yeah. want to do that as a character. But I think we'd reached the point... It wouldn't feel like it was my right to do it. No, no. But it felt... Maybe it felt like a, a bit like we'd reached a point where we'd banished all that stuff and now it was actually okay to laugh at it on the other side with a sort of... With a wink, with a sense of... Yeah, with a wink. You know, this is how things used to be, but we're all, we're all right on and we know what the joke is here. Yeah, I... And so then another 15 years, it looks like that joke's gone. But, you know, but that's... You can't... That, I've had the same thing with... Someone, there was a review of my book, Talking Cock, which I wrote in 2002. Yeah. And someone says, this doesn't tackle the gender issues, transgender issues at all, and you're going, God, fuck, if I'd, if I'd written a chapter about that in 2002, I'd been an amazing visionary. This book is, is 15 years old, 16 years old. It was invisible. We, no, trans one, no one was talking about the, that then. The transgender community were invisible Yeah. then. Uh, it, it, wasn't, um, uh, it wasn't intended to be a dismissal of, of anybody from any community. No. We just, it was, honestly, we didn't know. We didn't know. No, and that's through. No, that's through a lot of comedy again. Yeah, I just, I did not know. I, was, well. I didn't know. I didn't know. And the but, thing, but I certainly wouldn't do it now. No, no. And that's. I think that's what's important. If you've learned and you've changed. Yeah. I yeah. think you have to be allowed. To, if you, if you, I think like this is this is a real. It's interesting having Les on the other week. Les Dennis, who went through the, you know, there was the seventies to the eighties comedians. There was a big change, and all those seventy comedians went. No, I should still be allowed to do jokes about black people moving next door to me. What's going on? And those guys disappeared and you know never worked again because they couldn't accept that they'd made a mistake and things had changed and that what they're doing was wasn't now acceptable. Uh, and I think we'll get that again now. But then in 15 years' time, who knows what people are going to look back at the crazy, fucking, it, fucked up world we well, live in. Well, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I wonder, I wonder, um, like, it's interesting. I wonder how RuPaul's Drag Race will be viewed in 15 years' time. Um, it, 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 it will, will there be a sense that um, the, the gay male representation of femininity is not positive in that. I don't know. I'm yeah. not saying it is. I'm not well, levelling that accusation, but you, you can't You can't really... Well, with comedy, you can't start thinking like that. Yeah. You, can only, you can only do... Comedy's funny in the moment. If anything survives, that's kind of incredible. But yeah, think, you know, you look at Python, you look at the goodies, there's lots of things in there that oh, are yeah, utterly but... unacceptable. And more in Python than you would think. There's lots of sexism, there's lots of homophobia, there's lots of race, race things that are now unacceptable. And... You know, but you know that the hearts of the pythons were in the right place, even when they were doing that stuff. And you, you, you know, you say, okay, that was the time, and we've moved away from that. Yes, and that's the thing. It's not material I would do now. I wouldn't. I, uh, yeah, but but I still got to work. You know, if, if if me and David were to do Little Britain again, we still we've still got to piss people off. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not doing our jobs. But it was... So we'll have to find something new. It was pushing things, and it was, you know, it was... <coughs> it, but that was, the, that was very much the noughties. It was this kind of, let's push a fence, let's see where... And oh, lots and lots of comedians were doing it in lots of different ways. Let's push the barriers back, see what we can get. Well, we, we are being a bit naughty. We know this is a bit naughty in some cases. And then, you know, and th that's... But it, it's, 
doing a job at the time that you can't <laughs> look back. Yes, and I think uh, also I else. would say like we the the um, look people had less of a voice then. There was less social media around. That was just the very beginnings of some of the corpses are amusing and yeah. all of that. You know, just little forums and IRC on the internet was also kind of starting up around then. And uh, or or, or uh, but um, the 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 tribalism of our time what didn't seem to exist in the same way then. The, the Britain in general didn't appear to have as the tense racial relations that it has right now. That's my reading of it. Yes, well, I think, yeah, maybe not as overtly. Maybe, we, maybe it was there and we didn't know. And we were in bubble yeah. and we didn't know about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, things have... Fucked up, haven't they? Uh, so it's, it's gone. It's not the worst. But I would say, if anyone's worst. listening and they're offending, like I will, you know, I will, I'll happily discuss anything, like individual yeah. cases. And I've had people on on Twitter just be very upset. And I said, look, I'll meet with you. I'll have a cup of tea with you. Let's talk about it. Well, that's because nice. I do want that's to. Le- I do want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to learn about it. And I think with all these I, uh, things, I think it's grow being able and to evolve. Have, and I'm genuinely, genuinely sorry to anybody whose life was made worse than it might have been because of our work. I mean, that's terrible if that's the case. I've had people say, you know, I'm trans, and, I, and I, you know, people used to say, or people used to say, oh, you're the only gay in the village. You know, yeah. to, to us, it was meant to be such a celebration, you know, and some people were labeled only gay in the village at school, and that's, that, you know, something that was only meant to be created as entertainment shouldn't, shouldn't uh, uh, you know, no, make, that's... make young gay people sad. No, but it was, but it was talking about, being gay on primetime TV as well. Yeah, so there was lots hadn't... of positive things. So I'm sure you would get as many people coming and saying, oh my goodness, that gave me the, the, the confidence to talk about this with my friends and whatever. So you can't, you're never going to please everyone. In, uh, there's, and I think the issue is it's got to be a conversation, right? And all these things, people, all these issues for, for ever really, but over the last decades or so, people are scared to talk about stuff. And that's why you're getting racism coming out again now in this big way, because people have been bottling it up rather than having the conversation to... Exp- you know, racism isn't a hard thing to kind of dissuade people of, really, when you look at the facts and talk about it, because it's fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you tell people they just can't be racist, then don't explain why they can't be racist to them. If they don't understand that, they bottle it up and then it comes out. With all these things, it's the same. And I think that's... The problem with social media is it doesn't feel like a conversation. It feels like people saying, you can't... Both sides, you can't do this, you can't do this, and it just becomes intractable, you know, a, a battle. And actually, most of these things that we talk about them and everyone's allowed to talk through their concerns, you'll sort it out much much more easily. So it's fantastic if you're talking to people about it. And uh, I'll, I'll ask you an emergency question. Yeah, go on. Um, but it's interesting to talk about. Th- thank you for talking about that, Matt. It's very interesting. Um, thank you for having me I on think your this, show. I think, I, I think this... Um, this well, it's not a, funny for the last 20 this minutes. Is, <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got an answer to this, but I don't know what it is, because you mentioned it in your book. But one of my we went to see Matt Lucas, he was so early. <laughs> <laughs> what are you in your book, you mentioned yeah. this, but you don't, I don't think you... Unless it's in the last bit of the book. Have you ever seen a ghost? Yes. Malikus? But you don't say what it is. No, in the, it's not, but, no one's business if you've ridiculous. seen a ghost. I have seen a ghost, but I also don't believe in ghosts, so... Okay. Yeah. Weird, isn't it? Have you yeah. seen a ghost? No, because they don't exist. <laughs> I mean, I 100% agree with you, <laughs> but I've also seen one, so... <laughs> what, yeah. what form did your ghost it was, take? It was uh, ectoplasm, and it was in France when I was 14. Okay. But, like, I also just... I mean, think... actor, it was... The... I saw ectoplasm when I was 14. Yeah. <laughs> A lot but, of it. Oh, coming dripping off the ceiling down to his... 
It was green exoplasm <laughs> yeah. in a cheap hotel in France. But I also think people who believe in ghosts are fucking idiots, so it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> when we it? moved house, it felt like, and there was loads going wrong, and we were very uh, tired, uh, and it really felt like that we, we, we were hearing a crying baby in the house when our baby wasn't crying, and we both heard it, and our house used to be a hospital, and uh, or like a doctor's surgery with like rooms. So you've heard a ghost. Uh, so, yeah. But, you know, it wasn't a ghost. We Who just, has we been... Home. The worst guest you've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> well, there's been some shockers. Um, no, it's I've never, I only have people on I like. Yeah. I think the, the Keith Allen. The, uh, Keith Allen would have been weird. Um, Stuart was, you know, we could talk about double acts if you want to get on double acts. But Stuart like. was Stuart was the second time Stuart was on here, and he'd had a, a couple of uh, chandies, I would say. Yeah. And was just a little bit too Stuart Lee. <laughs> Uh, so that was there's you know there's been ones where I've kind of felt like I've I've fucked it you know you'd be having a laugh and then you fuck it up or you you know you push a joke too far so there's ones that I I just usually I only feel bad about myself usually so mostly the guests it's such an enjoy this is such a uh, fucking great thing to do for me it's you just get to I mean especially now just in my house all week and then I come out and meet you know Vicky that's Vicky Pollard off the telly <laughs> some Plunkett and McLean. Um, <laughs> So no, it's but you know it's it's nearly always just really really good, like really good, and even the, and even the ones that aren't really good, like now, uh, is uh, <laughs> there's something. <laughs> I, that was a joke. That was a joke because I know no, it was a joke. It was a joke. I'm absolutely fine. No, it. it's a joke. Yeah. This is this is a very good one. Uh, so um, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about it. Really is it really is. Let's talk about. Um, Touring with Blur, like again in the in the you you were on Blur's tour bus, and that's just in the book bus in the book at the at the, at the, the week of the, the the release of the Great Escape. Yeah, so I mean, right fucking hell, people. you're right in there. So they'd seen you. You've been in I their am video. Rich Pop. You've been in their video. You've been in a lot of videos. You've been in Vindaloo. You've been in Ben Folds, which I'm very jealous of. The Ben's my friend. I saw him last week. I went upstate to New York to see him. He bought um, a sort of department store and is turning it into a house. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Watch out! There'll be ghosts in there of mannequins. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, so you so you were in the country house video. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, weird. I, I it's a, a, an odd story because I'm I, I like I don't have many sort of famous friends or I'm quite sort of. Um, you just said you were with Ben Folds. Yeah, I don't have many. I didn't say I don't have any. <laughs> I don't have many like famous friends, yeah. but there was you know I was working with. Because what I'm about to do is very name-droppy, that's why that's I, okay. I, I, I um, preface it with that. But I was uh, working with Vic and Bob, and um, they had, you know, they'd seen me on stage, and they put me in their show, The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer, and we had a rehearsal for the show in late, to, uh, late 1994. And after the rehearsal uh, this afternoon, um, Jim and Bob, as he's called Jim, they took me... The three of us went for a drink at the Groucho Club in London, where lots of celebrities would go. And I had never been there before. And I'm not really much of a drinker, um, and I don't do drugs or anything like that. So I was quite kind of wide-eyed to the whole scene. And then this guy came over and said, oh, Jim, 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 uh, let me show you this, this film that I've made. And this guy was uh, Damien Hirst. <laughs> and I'd heard of Damien Hirst. He was obviously very famous at that time, 94. Um, and he took us up to a little room where Damien Hurst and Keith Allen were oh, sat. Oh, my goodness. 
And they showed us a sort of two minute long film that Damien had made. And I think Damien had been at art school with Jim um, oh, yes. yeah. or something like Probably. this. They knew each other. And then, bless you. And then a few months later, Damien said to Jim, who's that bald bloke you work with? I want to put him in a, a video I'm directing with Keith for Blur, for Country House. And um, Jim, so Jim gave them my phone number and um, this lady, Naira Park, called up, who then is now a big film producer. Mm -hmm. And she was uh, married to Keith or was, no, she wasn't yet married to Keith, but she went on to marry Keith. Um, and then I turned up and then there was a little bit of confusion because they had meant Les from <laughs> Vic Reeves' Big Night Out. <laughs> And they got me. Uh, they, I wasn't the droid they were looking for. Um, but I was hired, I was there. And so we filmed this country house video and it was a sort of homage to Benny Hill of um, me being chased by lots of sort of page three style girls. Um, Joe Guest was one of them, who was a sort of icon of, yeah. of that sort of loaded lads era. And I, so I went to, to film this video with Blur, and a couple of weeks earlier, I'd been on this TV show called The Beat. Do you remember The Beat with Gary Crowley? Yes, yes. And I'd been reviewing um, music videos with Malcolm McLaren and Francoise Hardy. <laughs> right? And because and, I was doing Sir and I was on there as Sir Bernard Chumley, this character I used to do on the circuit. And my thing was, to the absolute puzzlement and bemusement of... Malcolm McLaren and Francoise R.D., that every time we watched a video, I would just say the same things. <laughs> and I would just go, I mean, it was so sassy. <laughs> it was just so sassy. And I just kept going on and on about sassy. So when I turned up to the... the, um, the and they, they were just baffled. Um, but Gary Crowley seemed to enjoy it. And um, so when I turned up to the filming of the Country House video, um, Alex James, the bass player, and maybe Dave Roundtree, the drummer, recognised me as, oh, sassy! <laughs> and so they kind of took a shine to me, and we just had a fun day. But my main memory of you watch the Country House video is of me running, being chased, was I just had a terrible asthma attack. Because <laughs> um, I have asthma, and I'm just having to run and run and run, and just being in a terrible state. <laughs> and, and also, recording on this soundstage at Three Mills in Bow, where there were loads of farm animals and they'd been shitting everywhere. So we're just in this kind of stinking, boiling hot room, having an asthma attack. So Being I, chased by page three yeah, girls. So I genuinely, every time I hear Country House, I'm kind of triggered. <laughs> um, but we had a laugh and then I went off to the Edinburgh Festival uh, to do a show with um, David Williams. And... Um, and then, and then uh, uh, someone got in touch with my management and said, oh, Blur uh, are doing a, a tour as a warm-up tour before they do their big arena tour. They're doing a, a warm-up tour of eight. They're going for nine days and they're doing eight different um, seaside venues, sort of Clapton and Margate and all these places. And they would like um, a, uh, a stand-up comedian to open for them. And so um, our show had just been filmed for Edinburgh Nights or something like that. Yeah. So I sent them a video of the show and they said, great, we'll, um, you know, we'd like you to do it. And 
but you know you'll have to travel on your own. That's what support acts do, and do all. Of it. And I went. Uh, I, I can't drive. I've got no one to take me around the country. Can I come on the tour bus? And they said okay. And I said, can you give me some money as well, please? <laughs> so, because I don't, you know, I've got bills. But I still lived at home, but I wanted some money. Yes. So I. Um, That's not unreasonable. Not unreasonable. No. <laughs> um, I was only 21, so they paid me 100 pounds a night. Right. But the thing I remember was that they had caterers on tour, and I wasn't allowed to. Eat oh, the food. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite sad. Um, I made up for it, obviously. And so I and so I toured with Blur. Now you have to understand that Blur at that time were it was the Blur Oasis Wars, and Blur were the were actually bigger than Oasis still at that time. I know Oasis sort of flipped it, didn't they, and yeah. became the kind of winners um, ultimately. Yeah, I guess, I guess. In a way, but but at that time, Blur were number one, and, and the newspapers, the tabloids in particular, every day. Was, was Blur Oasis, Blur Oasis, and, and, you know, Noel versus Damon versus Liam versus, you know, and then slagging off Brett from Suede or Justine from Elastica. It was all that time. And it was an amazing thing to be on that bus and see it and um, for them to be getting phone calls, oh, the son want to know this and that, and girls chasing the bus and everything like that. Um, but my act wasn't very good yet <laughs> and it wasn't very developed and I would get booed off yeah, but before the shows yeah. and it's the only time in my entire career that I've ever got down on my knees and prayed before a gig <laughs> because I was getting booed off and booed off and booed off but I remember doing one thing which was quite odd which was we're in Dunoon um, in Scotland and we were the, the last band to play in Dunoon was The Tourists, right. which was Annie Lennox and yeah, Dave Stewart, Dave Stewart uh, 15 years earlier, I think in like 19 or 79 or something like that. And there we were in 95. They were the biggest band in the country. They were playing the school hall. After two minutes, I'd been booed off with you fat bastard, you fat bastard. <laughs> Fair enough. And um, <laughs> uh, only one of those things isn't true. And, um, uh, but I remember that they had frosted glass windows in the dressing room. And I remember going, walking towards the window and the crowds all screaming because I had a brown wig as Sir Bernard Chumley. <laughs> and then I would take the wig off. And I remember thinking, people out there think Damon Alban wears a wig. Because <laughs> I would walk up there and they'd be going, Damon! And then I'd take the wig off. <laughs> but um, it, was, it, was an it was an amazing experience. And, um, you know, uh, but it did, it did signal the end of me doing stand-up. Definitely. Really? Yeah, definitely. But that's, you know, that's... Such an impossible... If you're the best stand-up in the world, to go and support a band is a terrible idea. Yeah, terrible. But also, you know, people want to see the band. They want to see the band. They didn't want to see me. I think I had, like, three really good gigs, actually. Yeah. Um, but I had some, you know, terrible responses and things thrown at me. I mean, the famous story is Tommy Cooper supporting uh, the police, or Sting, and Tommy Cooper getting booed off at somewhere like, somewhere like Wembley Stadium or Milton Keynes. And then as he walks past uh, Sting, going... Follow that. <laughs> that's the, I mean, whether that's true or not, but it was, it was like that. I mean, I was, I was absolutely roasted. And then it did start to kind of get to me like, your confidence goes if you have yeah, a sequence yeah. of bad gigs. And I'd had a very bad gig at the Edinburgh Festival, um, which I talk about in the book, yeah, yeah. getting booed off in front of thousands of people at the Edinburgh Playhouse at 2.30 in the morning. And it did start to, but you know what? That meant that I did less gigs, fewer gigs, um, and, and started spending more time writing with my friend David. Yes. And one thing led to another. So it was actually, it was, it was, it was, it was good in a way to stop doing stand-up. Because the one thing I notice when you do stand-up 
Is, do you remember? Did you do the circuit? As I did, a yeah, I did. So I did for a couple of years, but I hated it. Yeah. Right. So this is just this one thing, right? Just circuit comedians are amazing, and and I, I have full respect for them. But there was this thing, and I don't know if it's still the same way, where you'd go into the dressing room before a gig, and somebody would go, "I'm trying a new joke out tonight." <laughs> and it would be the talk of everybody that they were yeah. trying the new joke out. And they would tell the joke and everybody would weigh in with, oh, maybe you should restructure it. And then we'd all listen to hear how the joke went. And you were not encouraged by promoters to change your set. No. And the thing was with David was that we were writing half an hour, 40 minutes of stuff that we used every week. Yeah. And you must have found that with Stuart as yeah, well. Yeah, I think we, that's where we were unusual when we're starting off. And Stu was very into stand-up, but I wasn't into stand-up. And I wanted to do sketches and I wanted to do... Yeah. And, you know, I tried to do stand-up in those early... I, when I came back to it, I really liked it, but uh, that took a long time for me to get to there. And uh, because of all this Keith Allen experience as well, I had a big sort of... I felt that the, all the circuit kind of hated me personally because of this. You hate him more than Patrick Marber? Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I kind of like Patrick now. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, I did, but you know, we never really hated Patrick. Patrick, we, we you know, it's... Uh, another podcast, well, another day. You know, you sort of, re everyone was Patrick Marber in the end, you realise. Yes. It was just, we, everyone was ambitious, you know, and he, he, was, he was just the most obviously ambitious early on, but yeah. it's worse to be the, the sneakily ambitious person, which he wasn't. Uh, so uh, it's <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, <laughs> you were, talk we were talking about, yeah. about you were able, we were yeah, able so, to be so, much but more we prolific. Were, you know, so all those we'd go and do those gigs. And everyone was literally had been doing the same twenty minutes for five or six years. We would go. Promoters would say to me, just to defend comedians. Promoters would say if I did a good gig, promoters would say to me afterwards, "Don't change your set." Yeah. Come back and do the same set next yeah. time. So I'm not. This is not. I'm not like attacking no, no. comedians. The culture was not to to write new stuff. And it was easy. There was it were a lot of people going into stand-up because they wanted to have an easy life where they worked for 40 minutes, 50 minutes at night and got drunk at work and then, and then had the day off. And so we were going in, as you were, I think, and we were, we were meeting up when Stu got in about midday. And, <laughs> and, like were, David, yeah. Yeah, and we were, you know, we were writing new stuff. We were writing hundreds of radio shows. We were writing hours and hours of radio stuff. We were writing new stuff for Edinburgh. We were writing, you know, just for ourselves. We were writing scripts. And most people weren't doing that. And that's why, you know, so the, so the stand-ups, again, resented me a little bit in that early stage because I was getting on the radio and I hadn't done, I hadn't earned my, uh, you know, spurs on the stand-up circuit. But I'd been out really working for five years, writing, 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 which we did that whole decade, really. But there was one Marvel who was Mark Thomas. Yes. Who was the king of the circuit and would, and would do new material all the time. Yeah. And I, was just, I, I, think, I still think he's one of the absolute greats. Well, he's a mate, and he keeps on coming up with yeah, new, new he, ideas and new stuff all the time. But that's if you want to have a career and if you want to expand yourself as a performer, you have to keep on trying new stuff out and doing weird stuff and yeah, yeah that so it, it became you know i understood it people were making in those days you could make great money as a stand-up if you did this, the comedy store and jonglers you could do four gigs on a sat friday and saturday six gigs sometimes and be making you know 50 60 70 thousand pounds a year just from those those weekends which is not the case now because there's a lot more stand-ups and it's they're getting paid the same as they got paid in 1990 so it's become a much more uh well, less a, a le more thankless task or a less thankless i task? find the One words way. more and less are interchangeable yeah, they are. <laughs> either way but yeah so it's you know it's it, i think that's it if you had that you, ha you to succeed the people who succeed and not everyone will succeed with the t you need i think you have sue you're saying there's talent luck and hard work. Those are the three those things. Those are the three yeah. things you need. You could still have all of those and not succeed, but if you don't, I think hard work is the thing that's really, that you've, you've got to, re the people I've seen who've been successful, because it's so competitive, they've just, you've got to be obsessive and, and, 
and it's got to be your life, which in your 20s and 30s is, e is a bit easier. As you get a bit older, it's a bit like, oh, I'd like to have a bit of a life beyond that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that's the thing you realise as well, I think, as you, as you get older, that the things you were striving for, that A, you're not going to become happy if you're friends with Robbie Williams or whoever necessarily. You've read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, whoever, you know, you're not, it's not going to make you happy to be accepted in itself in, in, amongst other famous people. That is, it's a sort of meaningless thing. It's, you can understand why it happens. Uh, but the, you'll find happiness by, you know, by examining yourself and by becoming, you know, by facing up to the things that made you who you are, you know. And you're, you're a very nice person who's had to go Fuck through... Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> who's had to go through some, some awful stuff, which, you know, I haven't had to do. You know, yeah, I but lots of people... Look, lots of people... Uh, uh, I don't have any monopoly on suffering. I mean, lots of people have, have their shit to deal with. But yeah. um, uh, I, 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 I hope... I'm more humble now than I was when I was 18, 19 but on the we'd circuit. We'd hope we all. I mean, you know, yeah. you're very honest about then being a kid and, you know, going to the... You get to it. I mean, I remember that, you know, I remember getting the, my first radio... Tom was going to be a radio show and I was on the tube reading the script on the tube thinking people were looking at me going, oh, that guy's got a... Hey, that looks like a radio script. <laughs> that guy must be on the radio. Is he? Is he? <laughs> is he off to the drill hall? <laughs> And so, you know, you are, you are, you know, you will behave like an arsehole and you become successful and you will behave like an arsehole. Mm. It's just, you know, that's part of it. I think you're allowed 18 months or so of it and then if you carry on, then, you know, it's not going to be good for you. You might still, for one, you know, you might still survive as a, in the business, but you just, you're, something inside you will go, I think. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's different when you've been in something like, I, I, I sort of, I'm thankful, I often say this, I'm kind of thankful that this morning, Richard, not Judy, I think it could have gone, I don't think it would have ever become Little Britain-style success, but it was just getting the point where it could have gone over that hill, and neither of us would have coped well with what you then, you know, what you then had to go through as super famous comedians. You know, it would, it would have driven both of us mad in different ways, so I'm kind of glad it didn't happen to us then. And, but, it's, but then it's sort of hard to cope with something being massively successful and then having to cope with the aftermath of... You know, as a double act breaks up and, and you know... Who says we've broken up? <laughs> I might be talking about myself. Yeah. <laughs> then, you know, you, you, then people judge you by each other's career. So, uh, you know, you and I know this, that, that people will want to go, oh, isn't he doing better than you? Oh, is he doing better than you? And they, they're not. It's not a balanced appraisal ever, you know. And, and so David's doing stuff that I don't think you would ever want to necessarily do maybe the I think writing. David's doing stuff I, could, uh, I wouldn't know how to do I mean David's amazing and brilliant we are in contact despite what people say <laughs> we are you, we, I emailed him yesterday he emailed me today it's fine but um, uh, cunt fuck off you cunt <laughs> fuck off no you fuck off <laughs> that's what me and Stu have been <laughs> you look older now than you did when you looked young um to little insults like that. Um, no, very cordial. But uh, um, oh god, I forgot what I was going to say now. Uh, but it's, you know, what but was it's I saying? It, but it's, uh, I think um, the thing is the thing that. Oh, no, no, what I was saying was, uh, uh, he he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, you know, that's it. I'm not going to say he's brilliant at what he does. He's brilliant. He's yeah. a brilliant man. He's the greatest, um, uh, most talented person I've ever worked with. Um, it's no surprise to me that he's the top-selling author, um, you know, and, uh, and all of his other endeavours, very popular, and I'm pleased for him, and I don't 
I also don't judge what I do by anyone else's career. No, but other people... I don't judge any... Well, you can't can't control what other people do or say, and nor should you try to. I'm I'm not going to list my credits to make any point. No. But I, w- no. I was about to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, you... But no, but, but I... I, 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 America, I don't look at him and cover... Because I couldn't do what he does. I no. couldn't... I couldn't um, do... Uh, write those books. He's written those books. It's not, it's yeah. not like... Uh, it's not like, oh, anybody could do that, but he's the one that did it. Yeah. That's a very naive way to look at it. So I don't look at it like that. I look at my God. You know, look at the, the hard work he's put in and look at the skill he's got and the talent he's got and he deserves all the credit he gets. Stuart and, doesn't. Uh, so, but but um, but I but I I do believe that, and I don't. It doesn't. I don't have a problem saying that. No. People people will assume that you sort of. I don't. Well, people want double acts to be. You know, all, the, all yeah. they, they want them to break up and be angry, and you know that. So the story's self. Well, I think there was some of that. Yeah. But it's not. You know, that stuff does dissipate over time. Yeah. You know, definitely, and so. I don't think there's any issues. No. But you've been in America, and you're living in America now, really, like, most of the time. Yeah, back and forth. I'm yeah. here a bit more this year, because I'm going into Les Miserables again. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. Brilliant. Do you like the musicals? I don't really like the musicals. I like the musicals. No. I'm, a, I'm a heterosexual man. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are uh, uh, Michael Balls in Les Mis. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. No, I, <laughs> uh, Alfie Bow, they're yeah. heterosexual men. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, do you do you like you don't like watching any musicals? I like Tim Minchin stuff. Yeah, um, I do. I don't. I don't. You know, I don't. David Bedell likes musicals. Yeah, we once had a night at David Bedell's house watching both um, Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell. Wow. David said in a quite a niche joke that nobody will get. This is Jews for Jesus musicals. <laughs> night. Um, David likes his musicals. Yeah. Very into that. Um, have you seen Wicked? Uh, no. Right. So you can't judge. <laughs> no, I haven't seen them, I just... Uh... I have, and I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> no, I do, that's all right. Um, uh, do you find yourself doing that, by the way? Like, in modern times, you're so worried about offending people to go... You make a joke, and you go, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Do you find it's, yourself doing I don't, that? I try not to, but yeah, I right. understand. Yeah, it is, it is, it's difficult. People are... It, it, it's, it's sort of an odd thing where comedy... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I guess... In the past, you would do a joke and it would go to the people who got it, or you know, the people who didn't want to, didn't like it, wouldn't seek it out, you know. But it, so it's it's a sort of weird thing where you're worrying that much. It's a shame if we can't laugh at things, you know, or or, or you're told you can't make jokes about a certain subject. I think it's sort of, that's a shame. But um, I do agree with that thing that no subject is taboo. But you just got to figure out how to do it yeah, in yeah. the right way and, punch, and and aim at the right targets. Yeah. Of that, and, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's all about timing. Well, we're going to have to wrap up quite soon, which is I a thought shame. we were going to talk about musicals. Well, I wanted, to talk, I wanted to talk about community, being on, being on Community, which is funny because you also on, you played sort of Doctor Who fan. on. Yeah, I was, in, I was in the series of Community that Dan Harmon didn't work yeah, on. Yeah, I was going to say. The kind I of bastard series. Yeah. Um, but that was... Great. I mean, I got to work with Donald Glover and um, uh, and that amazing cast, Joel McHale and Danny Pudi, the great, yeah. you know, Alison Brie and all these the brilliant um, cast of that show. And and, uh, and then, yeah, it sort of bounced back because I ended up doing Doctor Who and sort of <laughs> playing the real version of... Yeah. Playing in the real the real Inspector Space Time, yeah. Yeah. And you, so you, you presumably you're doing all the comic cons and the I've done two. Cons. Yeah. I've done two. Um and I uh, um I think I, 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 I thought I 
for me, it's, you know, because some people do them every weekend, and I think that's not for me. Um, but if I could do, I, I'm probably happy to do one a year or something, and then, sure. then really throw myself into it and enjoy it. I don't think I would want to, to do them every... Because some people really do yeah. do them. They sort of don't act anymore. They just do those. Yeah. And, it, and it, it gives them a very good living. But I, it doesn't... I really, really enjoy it in addition to the creative side of working. Yeah. Uh, but not as a substitute. But people who that. like Doctor Who are nuts, right? So that's... They're all... Cre- no. You wouldn't want to be in a room with people they're like smart. that. They're <laughs> smart. <laughs> they're smart. I actually say, like, it, it's, it was a really interesting thing doing that show because... I did, uh, the character I played was launched in a Christmas special. And in the Christmas specials, you're encouraged to do things in a very... I was definitely encouraged to, to be very broad in my performance, which is not something I usually need any encouragement for anyway. <laughs> if you've seen my recent turn in the film Polar. But, um, uh, so, so, um, uh, then they brought my character back and, and he sort of became a little more earthed as he went on. And, and the community... Uh, of Doctor Who fans were very kind, you know, towards me. I can understand why you might not want somebody who you've already seen in a lot of other things to turn up in your show because it's harder for them to believe that I am the character because they just think, oh, that's that idiot who plays Vicky <laughs> Pollard. But um, uh, it, it, the great thing about doing the conventions, and it's why I don't want to do them every week because I don't want to get cynical about them. It's why I want to keep it as a kind of special thing is meeting the, the people who watch Doctor Who um, because they're, they are a very sort of intelligent bunch and um, I love hearing their theories about the show and I learn a lot about the show from them because mm. the main reason I did Doctor Who in truth um, was because my late partner was a huge Doctor Who fan and so it was part of grieving, I guess, to go into that show. So it meant a slightly different thing to me. But, but it was amazing to work with Peter Capaldi and Pearl Mackey. And, uh, I'm, the thing, I'm writing a thing at the moment that's in development at the BBC, which Stephen Moffat and Brian Minchin will produce if it gets made. Fantastic. And they, I met them, obviously got to know them through Doctor Who. Yeah. They cast me in the show. So um, they, the thing I'm writing is this huge, big, epic fantasy thing, which is a complete departure from my other work. So, so I still feel like I'm part of the Doctor Who family. That's a great thing to be part of that show. And also a large, a significant percentage of the Doctor Who fan base are people with things like Asperger's and autism and parts of the spectrum. And they, Doctor Who speaks to them in a, in a way that other shows don't. And I think I, I, there'll be many different theories and reasons why. So it's really interesting sometimes to meet people who watch that show who might ordinarily be shy or have difficulty talking to you, but because you're in that show, they're able to come up and talk to you. So that was the, that's the really rewarding, meaningful thing about doing the conventions. So the last convention I did was a dedicated Doctor Who convention called Gallifrey One, right. which was... Uh, I absolutely loved it. Loved it. Have kids you done any conventions? It's a kid show. Yeah, it's a kid show. Have you done any conventions? No, we've been in. We were in an audio doctor. I do. I were you in a what? A big finish? We were in a big finish. You could do a convention now. I can, I can you do, do realise you could do a convention? I've done a signing, and it was actually exactly the same thing as you're saying. Earlier on, when I said that thing about Doctor Who, I was just joking. Uh, to, uh, do your thing. No, we did a signing, and it was what I loved. Like in about 2003 
three in like a kind of shop somewhere. What of the big finish? Yeah, just of the of the CD when it came. Well, we, out. what you and Stuart yeah, together yeah, were in it. Yeah, oh, yeah. lovely. Yeah, and um, I've done big finish. Yeah, and yeah. it was. Just, and what I loved about it was that those people just loved the people coming loved the thing. Yeah. Without any consciousness of like you know is this cool to like it is it not because they didn't care they just fucking loved it and you sort of think all these people who are trying to do something to look a certain way and these people are just coming to something that they adore yeah and have all this you know all this um stuff going back decades and signatures and autographs of all the there was someone with like a cigarette card board uh, they got everyone to sign, and then it it it's got so many signatures. There were like four or five frames. Every frame then had a new frame around. Yeah, yeah. So that he was getting every. I mean, it's insane because to get everyone's autograph who's ever been in anything to do with Doctor <laughs> is quite a difficult task. But it's a great challenge. But it's manageable. Yeah, it's, it's a great challenge. Yeah. I, I honestly have met some really great yeah. people from that, and yeah. and, it, and it's been very humbling and uh, a great honour to be part of that show. Actually, yeah. genuinely, look at that. No cynicism from yeah. me. Unlike you, very cynical creature. Disappointing. Some of these are the, these are the, the, the. Are there any Whovians? The in? more outgoing who Doctor. It's all Doctor. Hey. They're all of them Doctor. I'm not doing autographs after. I can <laughs> understand. Seriously, I'm not doing it. No selfies. Nothing. <laughs> Sorry, which door? Oh dear. Go, there, there is only go. one door. I think you can only go through that door. I'll see you later for a selfie. No problem. It's all right, Matt. There's a way out the back. No problem. Uh, so <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Honestly, it's fine. It's, it's, it's something that stays with you. And, and yeah. James Corden told me that that's what he gets the most fan mail from, <laughs> right. is the fact that he was in Doctor wow. Who. Yeah. And he's a big star. <laughs> hey, look, there was loads more I wanted to talk to you about, but I, I can't... Oh, my goodness. Was there anything you want to do really quickly? Uh, what's it like being gay? No, uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of switching over. Really? Yeah. It's really hard. Let's do being like a, a Freaky Friday. Okay. We'll swap. <laughs> I'd like to see a Freaky Friday film where they change bodies and they both prefer the other body, they prefer the other life, and decide to stay in it, or one of them does and the other one doesn't, but the other You're one stays. In it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be good. Yeah. It shouldn't always be. Oh, I've learned that both of our lives are difficult in different ways. No, it's much better being have Matt had... Lucas the Missionary. I'm not coming, I'm not changing back. Have you had no gay experiences? Um, not really. I've even had kissed some men. Stuart Lee tried to uh, wank me with a ventriloquist puppet. Uh, you had a slow dance uh, with David Williams went, at the Regency I told room. you, so I had a slow dance with David Williams, but I mean, he's straight, right? So that's not, if we're both straight... You'll have that's... to get him on the podcast to talk to him. <laughs> um, it was very nice, because he's very tall. I did like it. Very tall. And I'm quite small. Yeah. And it was just lovely. It felt safe nice. in his arms, no, didn't I did, you? it was lovely. <laughs> and I kissed a boy at the Edinburgh Fringe. Did you? Yeah. What, ironically, or I actually? Mean, you know, ironically, with tongues for quite a while. What? <laughs> when? In the at show? The, at the, no, at the end of, like, that when we were... Tr trashing the, you know, t taking the theatre down at the end of the the festival we had a sort of snog in the in the bleachers was he gay? Um, I think he was bisexual I was 100% like, straight so that was fine <laughs> just proving to yourself <laughs> but you write in the book about um, about shaking stick you've been shaking stick I write about changing the subject yeah, is that no because no, this is the same <laughs> this is the same the first people I've the first person you fancied felt funny about was Shaken Stevens. Yeah, tinglings. I got yeah. tinglings. And then the Sun newspaper, I mentioned it in an interview, right, that I sort of, who my first crush was Shaken Stevens. They sort of said, who's your first crush? And then the Sun newspaper, fucking stirring. <laughs> they call up Shaken Stevens and go, like, Matt Lucas fancies you. <laughs> like at the school playground, my mate fancies you. Like, 
I was already, I think, married. Yeah. Shaking Stevens was sort of 68 at the time. <laughs> so poor Shaking Stevens goes, all right, that's very you know, flattering. <laughs> I put a little sort of hum, quiet Welshman. Oh, that's very nice, thank you. I don't know what to say, really. <laughs> and then, like, then I went to a party and Shaking Stevens was there. And I was introduced to him and I was like, oh, hi, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm no disrespect to Shaking Stevens, I don't fancy him now. Okay. I fancied him in the quiff. But The Sun newspaper, I think it was Gordon Smart, who was at The Sun, wrote, Matt Lucas ogled pictures of Shaking <laughs> Stevens. And ogle was in bold. And I was seven years old. Yeah. Sort of sexualised me at the age of seven. I was busy ogling already, apparently. Yeah, that's weird. I waited till I was nine. <laughs> um, but my, but uh, I, I like Barry Manilow and, and Brian Connolly from Sweets. Right. And Nana Muscuri. Yeah, well, he's those hot. Are the, those are the first people. Nanamaskuri, lovely. So I was confused. Right. About they were all looked like ladies apart from Nanamaskuri. So why did genuinely? Why did you kiss the guy if you're just, just not? Just to see I what it was like. like just no, I think of. we, you know, we're all a little bit somewhere in between the two. So here's extremes, a question, yeah. right? You know, when you if you're kissing someone in a romantic context, yeah, it's sort of you might, with one of your hands, might just sort of slightly support their neck or yeah. slightly stroke their back or something tender. Yeah. Did you do anything tender during the kiss? Can't remember. Mm. Was, I mean, he was wanking me off at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what I was doing. Uh, all I remember, he was really stubbly and I didn't like, I didn't like the stubbliness. Right, otherwise I you'd like, be gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it knew, yeah. I'd have been absolutely fine. You're in. <laughs> You're in. This is where it started. You know, well, I was going to say because, like, I'm, this is the thing I was going to talk to you about, but yeah, we haven't go got time. But I'll talk to you about it. It was because, like, being in, in being the seventies and uh, school, being yeah. gay was the what all the kids were just. That was the biggest insult there was, and eighties yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. So just you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, yeah, yeah. And, and that and and you talk about it in the book and about you know your part in that with other other boys, you know, talking talking. Talk, and joining in with uh, that, yeah, yeah, that kind yeah. Of thing. I would tease other people. So, and say they were but you know, but it was and so like my friend Steve Cheek. I said it was one of my good friends. We were walking around the group, and I said I had a dream last night, and I did a poo in the dream, and Steve Cheek, and you know, in, in the dream, not in actuality, <laughs> and Steve Cheek said he'd been reading Freud. He said that means you're gay. That means you're gay that you've done that. That's uh, that's sort of Sigmund Freud. It means you're gay, and he meant, generally meant it. He, that was his interpretation of whatever he'd read in Freud. And I kind did of you go, shut up, bum no, cheek? No, then I kind of went, good. I should have done. Thank you. I kind of went, oh, maybe I, am, maybe I am gay, because that was like scientific proof. So that was that was the kind of worrying. Well, not well, it sort of was worrying because it was a, it was meant to be the worst thing you could be, wasn't it? As you're, ta as you're talking about. The, the, it was the, the biggest book. insult. But also, nobody uh, asked you if you were gay. You were sort of informed that you were gay. Yeah, that's true. At school, didn't you? <laughs> I think I found out I was gay when I truly knew was when I saw the poster for Richard Herring is Fat. <laughs> <laughs> that lovely Demi Moore. It was the Demi Moore, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that got me. Well, Paul Sinner, the, yeah. the doctor comedian, turned yeah. comedian, uh, came, I met him at a party in about 1999, 2000, and he said, oh, it's Rich Sherring, I used to really fancy you. And I said, what happened? Uh, <laughs> what went wrong? I'm sure it still lingers I'm there, sure it must it? be there. He's over, he's over me. Um, I, was a bit, I was a big gay icon. You are, you are, I'll tell you what, you are an inspiration <laughs> to LGBTQ yeah. people everywhere. You, Good, you. you really are. <laughs> because you. what you say is, this is what happens if you turn out straight. <laughs> so really, I, I go with that. It's a terrible thing. Yeah. Well, on that bombshell, 
ladies and gentlemen, give a massive round of applause, Matt Lucas! Thank you. How do you like them sky potatoes? <laughs>